when it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices. Things can get complicated fast. With Vanta, you can automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform can help you unify security program management with a built-in risk register and reporting and streamline security reviews with AI-powered security questionnaires. Over 7,000 fast-growing companies like Atlassian, Flow Health, and Quora use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. You can watch Vanta's on-demand video at vanta.com slash decoder to learn more. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash decoder. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for season two of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Krikorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neelai Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today I'm talking to Travis Katz, the CEO of Brightrop. That's a subsidiary of GM, which makes electrified delivery vans and has an eye towards rebooting how all of delivery works. Brightrop has some pretty big partnerships already, with names like FedEx, Verizon, and Walmart committed to its Zevo 600 van, and it's got big ideas for making the journey from the van to your door more efficient as well, with something called e-carts, which are electrified delivery carts. Travis's belief is that there's huge demand for delivery, especially as online shopping keeps getting bigger. But the transportation network is at capacity, and you can't just keep throwing more trucks and drivers on the road or make city streets even wider. His plan is to redesign the entire system to make it more efficient, partially with electric fans and e-carts, partially, of course, with software and logistics services, but also all the way down to details, like standardizing the size of boxes so they can stack and move more easily. So I wanted to know how he's attacking that problem and making it manageable, all while getting buy-in from customers that won't really accept delays or increased costs. And of course, there's some real decoder bait in here. Travis is a startup guy. He was a top executive at MySpace and Trip.com. But Brightdrop is part of General Motors, which is a huge company. And I wanted to know how that works and what he gets from being part of that huge company and which parts slow him down. After all, there's a graveyard of companies that were supposed to be internal startups at big firms, and I wanted to hear how he's managing that structural challenge. I've also always wondered whether the EV revolution has made the market more receptive to overall change that doesn't necessarily require EVs. Couldn't some of these big ideas about delivery efficiency and standardized boxes happen around regular old trucks? Travis said yes and no, and he had some interesting ideas as to why. There's a lot of decoder stuff in this one. It's fun. Okay, Travis Katz, CEO of Brightrop. Here we go. Travis Katz, you're the CEO of Brightrop. Welcome to Decoder. Hey, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. 
yeah, I have a lot of questions for you. Brightrop does a lot of really interesting work in the delivery world, but let's start at the beginning, actually. What is Brightrop? At Brightrop, we are reimagining how goods arrive at your front door in a way that's smarter, more sustainable, and safer. And a lot of people, you know, when you start off and you talk about delivery specifically, people are like, okay, that sounds boring. So let me tell you why it's not boring. Um, (laughs) This is something that touches every one of us. So think about the packages that you have delivered to your door daily when you order something from Amazon. Every single person in this country is ordering stuff daily uh, online. It's a $5 trillion market today, so it's huge. It's growing really fast, but we're also entering a time where the wheels are kind of starting to fall off in the industry. It's grown so quickly over the last few years that we're starting to run into real challenges of how do you continue to scale it? The infrastructure of cities is fixed. The carbon emissions are growing, and there's a a strong uh, desire from everyone to sort of get carbon emissions under control. We're really setting out to help solve a lot of those problems with the products that we're building. We've got a suite of products. So the three broad categories are we have electric vehicles. We are building electric delivery vans specifically. We've got a big one, uh, the Zevo 600. We've got a smaller one, uh, Zevo 400. We have a series of electrically propelled containers or carts. So we call these e-carts called the Trace. So we've got one specifically for package delivery, another one for grocery delivery. And then we've got a software suite called Brightdrop Core that sort of ties it all together. We're working with some of the biggest companies in delivery. So think FedEx, uh, DHL, Verizon, Walmart. So really think about how do we reimagine this space for an all-electric future? So that suite of solutions, right? You've got the the two vehicles, the carts, which are really interesting, and you've got the software that ties them all together. You just gave a pitch that's like a startup pitch. It was like really well rehearsed. Here's the size of my total addressable market. Here's the products we can make. Here's the customers we can get. But you aren't a startup, right? You're like a wholly owned subsidiary of GM. How did this all come about? So I'm a startup guy by background. So I've been working in the internet space. I was one of the early guys at MySpace. I helped launch a News Corp's digital group. I started my own company, Trip.com, which I led through a successful acquisition back in 2017. The idea of this of this business came about from GM has, like a lot of large companies have, an innovation incubator. So there's a group of people who are thinking about, you know, We've got all this great technology and we have all these great assets and what are new businesses that we can create? And typically when big companies have these incubators, they come up with lots of ideas and they rarely get traction with those businesses for a lot of reasons, which I'm happy to talk about. I think that was true uh, historically for a lot of things that GM worked on as well. When they started this one, they said, look, we need to take a new approach. We need to bring in somebody from the outside who's actually built a business from the ground up uh, to lead this. I got the call from... GM a couple of years ago to pitch this idea. When I got in and, you know, I was in two weeks to the role and I sort of looked around, I said, look, we've got these great ambitions, but there is no way I can build the business that you're wanting to build set up the way that it was to run it like the way that General Motors runs. And so we set it up to run really as a separate company, as a standalone startup. So we are a subsidiary of GM, but we run fairly independently from GM. And we set it up in a way to sort of get the best of both worlds, where I can leverage all of the assets that General Motors has, which are many in terms of vehicle design, in terms of manufacturing, in terms of supply chain, in terms of battery technology. But I can also run at the speed of a tech startup. And so far, that's been a pretty killer combination. I promise you, I want to talk about Brightrop in the business, but everything you just said is like pure decoder bait, right? It's <laughs> a structure conversation. It's how do we... St- 
How does a big company structure itself to be more nimble and get the value out of the scaled businesses of the company? I'm constantly saying Decoder is secretly a podcast about org charts. And like, here's the most complicated org chart of all. And I've heard so many companies say they're going to do this, right? We're going to have an internal startup that can run faster than the bureaucracy of the big company. You just mentioned a lot of times that doesn't work. I'm curious for why you think that doesn't work and what you've done in this structure to make sure it does. The reality is that the needs of the startup are very different than the needs of the large company. So if you think about a company like General Motors in particular, so General Motors has been around for 114 years. And that entire time, they have been doing one thing really well, which is building cars. And building cars is fantastically complicated. They've got a system in place that allows them to build, you know, launch 30 new models in a year. Uh, they can build these cars at factories all over the world, managing supply chain. It is a tremendously well-run company, and it's run through a set of rules and procedures and policies and decision-making forums and these kinds of things that are specifically designed for that. There is a lot of good goodness going on there, but if you're building software, you build software very differently than the way you build a car. The risk profile is different. The speed at which you sort of iterate is quite different. So you can't run a software business on a car trajectory. You also get, you know, the risk tolerance. If you think about a, you know, a large publicly traded company, particularly in one that's in a mature market, you're really running, you're looking at your quarterly earnings. How am I going to meet my quarterly earnings? It's very focused on profit and, you know, points of margin and those sort of things. When you're starting up a company, you need to be thinking a little bit further in the future. And how am I going to grow this business to build this to be a large, high margin business in the future and invest now to get there? The fortunate thing we had, I guess the fortunate combination we had here was, one, this was not General Motors' first rodeo with this. So they own a company called Cruise, which is that, you know, the AV subsidiary. And I think there was a lot of learnings through the Cruise process of how does this work. So when we came out of Brightdrop, we borrowed a lot of the structures that were used uh, for Cruise. And, you know, we had to go through and think specifically, okay, where are areas where we need to run very different? Where are areas that we don't? We had to have a lot of discussions about why do we need to learn, you know, work differently? And thankfully, General Motors has uh, a really visionary CEO in Mary Barra, and she learns very, very quickly, and she got it right away. And so she's like, just tell me what you need to do, and let's make it happen. So Mary hires you in to be the CEO. You're a startup person. What do you say you specifically need in that conversation? Okay, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at Cruise. That's working. Uh, everyone knows about the graveyard of big company startup incubators in the past. And it is quite a graveyard. What did you ask for to make it work? And what did she give you? A lot of things. So one, I needed to have control over a lot more decision-making. So, uh, you know, one of the ways that General Motors works, it's, it has a lot of centralized functions and centralized decisions. So purchasing is centralized, you know, supply chain is centralized, manufacturing is centralized, engineering and design are centralized. And, I, and so the, the instinct is to say, well, we have all these resources there and they're good people and they know what they're doing. So let's leverage all of these central resources to build the business. The kinds of products we're building look different than cars. And so I needed to, one, bring in talent that could build the kind of business that we wanted to build. So we need to think about talent very differently. We had to think about uh, you know compensation and comp structures to attract the right kind of talent very differently. We needed to be able to take decision-making out of this central structure and decentralize it into Brightdrop so that we could very quickly make decisions and iterate and move at rapid speed. And 
We've been doing it. I mean, the speed at which we've been building this business has been pretty spectacular. So we launched this business. We first announced this business in uh, January of 2021 at CES. We delivered our first vehicles to customers, FedEx, in June of that year. So the entire vehicle, the vehicle will start a little before we did it, but the entire vehicle we delivered in 20 months uh, from sort of conception to delivery. That's the fastest uh, General Motors has ever created a vehicle. I think it may be the fastest any company has ever brought a vehicle to market. Um, <laughs> and we've been sort of hitting records since then. Um, you know, we, we got a world record for the longest distance driven by a, a delivery van. Our vans get about 250 miles, so the range is quite good. Um, the Verge's Andy Hawkins was in that van when you set the record, actually. Yeah, Andy Hawkins was there uh, for the whole thing, uh, which was really fun. And yeah, we announced in, in November that we are on target to be the fastest company to hit a billion dollars in revenue. We're aiming to do that in three years uh, from launching the company. Uh, to put that in context, it took Tesla 10 years to hit a billion dollars. So I feel like this combination, the sort of... Uh, startup backed by a large company is is paying off pretty well for us. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about where that revenue comes from and how sustaining it is, but I want to just stay in the structure for one more minute or two. Yeah. You're a startup person. Usually the reason people are startup people is you start a company, you take on a lot of risk, and then there's an exit, and then you make a lot of money, and then you do it again. And I know a lot of people on the show who come on, and that's their history. Is there an exit inside of GM? Is that how you, you said you had to change how you recruit and who you recruit? Are you recruiting people against the possibility of an exit event like that that would make them rich? Not in the traditional sense. So we, you know, we've had to structure compensation in a way that we can attract the kind of people who go and work in tech companies without having a promise of an exit. At the same time, we set up the company, you know, as as a sort of standalone subsidiary. If if we made the decision that we wanted to raise external capital or, or do something else. That's something that we could do and the structure that we have. But right now, the the way we're working with GM and the GM's got is a company that generates a lot of free cash flow. Um, so we don't need external capital. Yeah, so we've had to structure it in a way that we could attract the right kind of talent. And that was actually probably job number one when I came in was to really sit down with the leadership team at GM and talk about, you know, how do tech companies think about talent what are the kinds of talent that we need that don't exist in the company today? And what do we need to do to bring them in? You know, that wasn't a quick conversation. We had to go through a few rounds. But, you know, like I said, uh, Mary's a pretty uh, sharp woman. So we got there pretty quickly. And we're attracting great talent. I mean, we're attracting people from, you know, Uber and Lyft and Google and all the tech companies you would hope you'd be able to track talent from. And so you said you might be able to raise external capital. Is there any thought that GM might spin Brightroff off into another public company? We don't have any plans to do that uh, today. If times change and the company decides they want to, it's, it's something that's possible. But right now, we're just heads down building the business. Let's talk about Brightrop itself and its structure for a second. How is Brightrop structured? You don't, you, know, like you don't need like a bunch of battery engineers, right? GM has that platform. Where, where have you put your resources? Probably the simplest way to think about it is, you know, we are, you know, we're running like a tech company. We've got a hardware business. We have a software business. We have a vehicle business. The vehicle side of the business, in some ways, it, it, probably the best analogy is GM sort of works like a contract manufacturer for Brightdrop. So we say, look, this is what we need from the vehicle. This is what we need to be able to do. And... GM does that. And for everything else, so the software, we're building software that runs in-vehicle, we're building desktop software, mobile software, 
we're building these e-carts uh, for different verticals. All that's happening right drop. So we do actually need battery engineering and that sort of stuff for the e-carts. Um, but it, we're structured very much like a typical tech company, I guess is probably the simplest way to do it. So we've got product management, we have design, we've got you know engineering, both hardware and software engineering. We've got a whole sales organization that we go to market and we engage with customers to you know, really help not just sell the products, but really think how can we partner with them to solve the problems that, that we need. And, and it's a very unique, I mean, this is in some ways, this is an area that really sets us apart. So, you know, there are a lot of other companies that are bringing to market products, you know, electric vehicles for the delivery space. And the reason they're doing that is because it's a massive space. So it's e-commerce is a $5 trillion market. It's going to be growing to $7 trillion uh, by 2025. So there's a big opportunity there. So there's a lot of people saying, hey, we'll build a van to help these companies deliver stuff. We're not thinking about a van as a standalone product. We're thinking about an ecosystem of products and really thinking holistically about the challenges that these delivery companies are facing. And let me explain sort of what those things are. So as you can imagine, you know, these, there's been companies delivering stuff to our door for a long time, but the pace of that has been growing dramatically. Uh, you know, With the rise of Amazon and the rise of e-commerce, we're seeing just Massive, massive, you know, double-digit growth year after year after year after year. At the same time, we're seeing expectations from consumers of, I want things to arrive faster and faster. So first is like, okay, if I can get it in a week or 10 days, that's great. And then Amazon came out with next day delivery. Now there's a whole push for, can I get it delivered to my door in an hour or two? That's really, really challenging. It requires rethinking the entire system. How do you stage goods closer to people? How do I organize and track where goods are and predict what goods are going to be needed in certain areas? So there's a lot of complexity there. But in addition to that, you have this concept of, you know, to keep pace with this growth, companies have been just saying, okay, let's just throw more and more bodies and more and more trucks at the problem. The challenge we're running into now is the infrastructure of our cities is fixed. So you can't make the streets wider. And so as you put more and more delivery vans into our urban areas, you're starting to see massive challenges with congestion. And we've all seen this, you know, these delivery vans, they can't find a parking space. And so a lot of times they're double parked, blocking a lane of traffic and at multiple points in the city simultaneously, which is sort of, you know, one, creating log jams and making people late to work, late to pick up their kids after school. But it's also dangerous. So a lot of times you have these couriers are having to step out into the traffic getting out of these vans. You've got bicyclists trying to get around a truck that's sitting on the bike lane. So the current system doesn't scale. We sort of reach the maximum scale. What we're trying to do with BrightDrop is really say, let's take a step back and look at this problem holistically. How can we reimagine how these goods get there? So things like the e-cart, the trace e-cart that we built, uh, we tested this with FedEx in multiple cities and we're testing it with a bunch of other partners as well. Uh, FedEx was able to deliver 25% more packages per day using the trace than without. And part of the reason why, so this is, let me describe the trace for your, for your listeners. So imagine essentially like a big box, a locker on wheels with electric propulsion. It can carry 250 pounds of packages with the electric propulsion. It feels effortless. So instead of dragging along this dolly with things sort of, you know, strapped onto it, it's effortless. It's easy to maneuver. It fits in an elevator. And what it allows you to do when a truck pulls up, instead of doing five trips back and forth to the van to serve a single high-rise building, you can do the entire thing in one go. But you can also start to reimagine, you know, how do you do it? Do you, do you create a central drop-off point or a micro-hub where you can 
have trucks drop these things off and give them to bike couriers or foot couriers and sort of fan those things out across the city. To do that, of course, you need a lot of software. So, you know, ultimately delivery is like a massive optimization problem where you've got tons of packages that get, need to get to tons of people and tons of different places. And you need to figure out what's the most efficient route. So a lot of the software we're designing is helping to reimagine how do you do this at the lowest cost, the lowest possible carbon emissions, and the highest speed. So it's, it's a really fun problem. It's complicated. But we are the only company out there that's really taking this holistic look at the problem. And our customers really appreciate it. When we go and have these conversations, they're like, oh, great. You actually do more than just sell electric vans. <laughs> you really understand our business. The carts are super fascinating to me. And every time I look at them and I look at the pictures on the website and, and read about what you've done with them, it strikes me that you're containerizing the last mile of delivery the way that container ships revolutionized like ocean freight or whatever. You're just sort of making the problem more modular and more understandable for software. Because right now, like all the boxes are different shapes and sizes. And it seems like these carts kind of converge them into a, a standard that you can then have software optimize. Is that right? I mean, that's just my, my guess at it. Is that, is that accurate? <laughs> it's, it's exactly right. Uh, so if you've studied the, you know, the history of containerization and the shipping containers, it's really fascinating. In the old days of shipping, you know, a ship would pull into port and it would take days to unload everything and stuff would get spoiled, stuff would be lost. It was really complicated, and they came up with this, the concept of a shipping container, and everything was sort of pre-packed. You could crane these things off of a ship onto the back of a truck uh, or onto a train cart, and you could sort of package everything, modularize everything, and help everything move very, very fast. So a lot of what we're doing with e-cards is exactly what you're describing. It's, it's taking this concept of containerization and bringing it to last mile with sort of the modern spin on it, which is that, you know, we're in the era of connectivity, internet of things. Uh, so you can start to have much better tracking of where things are. You know, we can have auto lock and unlock to improve security. So you don't have things like package theft, which is a huge deal in last mile delivery. You know, people will be delivering things in malls and people will, like run off and just grab packages off of, <laughs> off of dollies and run away with them. So we increase security, we increase sort of chain of custody visibility. So you can see who opened this when, you know, we can track where things were, you know, as they move throughout the the chain. But it also really unlocks this way of like, hey, we can start to reimagine how we plan our routes. And what we've seen in a lot of the modeling that we're doing, you know, you can start to use things like e-bikes and e-carts and other sort of forms of transportation to allow you to deliver the same amount of packages with fewer vehicles. And a lot of people say, well, why would you want to sell fewer vehicles? Isn't that one of your revenue streams? And, and the reason we want to do it is we want to make the system work right. And if we can make the system work more efficiently and better, everybody wins. It's a massive, massive opportunity. And it's one that's very timely because, like I said, that the system is starting to show cracks. We just can't keep throwing trucks at the problem. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Support for Decoder comes from Mint Mobile. Imagine you're at a very fancy, expensive restaurant. And as you're browsing the menu, wondering how you'll afford anything on it, you notice the filet mignon is a mere $10. At first you think jackpot, but then you immediately think, wait, what's the catch? Now what do suspiciously cheap steaks have to do with your cell phone bill? Well, we're used to seeing quote unquote great deals from overpriced wireless providers, 
and also thinking, what's the catch? But with Mint Mobile, there is no catch. For a limited time, their wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You can get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash decoder. That's mintmobile.com slash decoder. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash decoder. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back with Brightrop CEO Travis Katz. We're talking about Brightrop's electric delivery vans, the carts of packages carried by those vans, and the software that makes it all work. The thing that strikes me every time I talk to anyone on the show who has sort of a hardware-software split, the investment in software just rapidly begins to outpace the investment in hardware. Uh, my favorite example of this is John Deere, which is the tractor manufacturer. Their CTO came on the show, and they're like, yep, we spend more money on software than hardware, which is just unbelievable to me. Are you on that same trajectory where the software side of the business will become a much bigger investment and require more resources over time than the actual EV vans? It's interesting. We definitely have more software engineers than we have hardware engineers. When you're doing hardware, the difference with hardware versus software is hardware, there is a lot of capital investment. So you need to, if you're going to build a hardware product, you need a factory to build it in. You need to build out that factory with tons of robots. You need capital, you know, working capital to buy all the parts. So it's very expensive to launch a hardware product versus a software product, which you can actually launch pretty cheaply. Uh, but you do need good engineers. One of the things that's very unique about the software world is it's not linear from like a mediocre software engineer to a great software engineer. It is, you know, it's a sort of exponential curve where a really great software engineer is not... 50% more productive than an average software. It's it's five times or 10 times more productive than an average software engineer. And so I'm a big believer in trying to hire really, really good people and hire fewer people as opposed to let's just hire lots and lots of bodies. But ultimately, the reason everyone's putting all this investment in software is because software is really changing the game and really changing the way that that hardware products work and changing the capabilities of what they have. And this is happening in the auto industry right now. And I think Tesla was, you know, the first ones who really understood the potential of what you could do with software in a vehicle. Um, and everybody else is, you know, investing heavily to sort of get up to the line where the bar that Tesla set. But it's exciting. I mean, the old days cars were essentially these mechanically engineered products. They had engines, you put gasoline in them, they went. And there's some software, you know, for for safety systems and, you know, automatic braking and that kind of things. But they kind of ran in a disconnected way. When you start connecting them, 
it just unlocks tons of value. One, you can make the car better over time as opposed to your car sort of losing value quickly year by year. You can make the car better through software. You could add new features and functionalities. You can optimize charging. Can I ask you a really dumb threshold question? Yes. I, I have a lot of auto CEOs on the show. I, I, I've heard that set of statements like many times. If you want to tell Mary to come on the show, she's welcome to make the same set of statements. But I, one thing that I've always wondered about, and I'm curious about with Brightrop as well, there's a connection that everyone makes between we're going to go to EVs and then the car is a computer. And we'll get all the value of computerizing the car and connecting the car. And there's actually not, as far as I can tell, like an articulated connection between those ideas. Like, why does the drivetrain of the car matter to whether or not you can add more software features to the infotainment? I, I suppose that's not relevant for Bright Drop. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, there, there's a, everyone says the two things are going to happen at once. And even for Bright Drop, right? It's like you're going to do EV vans and we're going to do optimized logistics management and containerized packaging so that the battery powered trolleys can work. And like, there's not necessarily a connection between those two things. No, you're you're absolutely right. You can build smart connected cars with internal combustion engines. I I think part of it is just sort of a coincidence of timing that we're living in the era of software and the moment when the economics of electric vehicles suddenly became viable. Um, So part of it is just a timing issue. That said, you know, there's a lot you can do with batteries when you think about value creation for a consumer. So you save a lot of money when you move from a internal combustion engine to an EV. So with our vans, if you compare like a bright drop Zevo van versus a traditional diesel van, you will save on average, you know, if you fully utilize it, you're driving it sort of to the full charge, you can save $7,000, $10,000 per year on fuel costs alone because electricity is so much less expensive than, than diesel. But that's the starting point. There's a lot of power that you can get because these things are connected about managing the charging. So a lot of times, uh, and I'm going to get into like u- utility geek mode here for a minute. Let's do it. This is what the show is all about. Yeah. So, so anyone who lives in this you know a state like California where I live where you have occasional you know rolling blackouts in the summer you hear this in in Texas you know when things get really cold those are happening because you're having too many things drawing electricity from the grid at the same time so if it's really cold in Texas everyone's turning on their heat and suddenly there's not enough power going onto the grid or if it's a really hot day everyone's turning on their air conditioner so our electricity grid in the US is old and outdated and we need to as a country invest to make it stronger but in the interim, you know, utilities are doing things like they will pay you money if you will shut off your electricity use for 10 minutes when they're having a, a demand surge and there's more demand than there is supply on the grid. When you have a connected vehicle, for a delivery vehicle, most of these guys are out and delivering packages during the day and then they come back to the depot and they charge overnight. They're sitting there for eight hours or 12 hours and they only need a couple hours to be fully charged. So if you have the ability to turn off your charging, you know, for 10 minutes when there's a surge because everyone's turning on their air conditioners, that's actually a revenue opportunity for the vehicle producer and for the for the owner of those vehicles. That's just an example of the kind of things that you can do with, with connected vehicles. You can also send electricity back into the grid and power your home and all these kinds of things. So there really are a lot of cool things when you marry software with electrification that didn't exist before and don't really exist with an internal combustion engine. 
But a lot of the stuff, you know, if you talk about things like, hey, can I make my infotainment system more compelling and add features, you could do that with, you know, an EV or an ICE vehicle. And if you look at how GM is building, you know, their software stack, they are doing the same kinds of software across both types of vehicles. Yeah, I was just, you have a unique perspective, right? You're close to a big company, but you're sort of outside of it. And that question of, is it just people are excited about batteries, so they're willing to reconsider everything, and that means we're going to shove everything into the opportunity? Or is there like a rational connection? And it seems like with logistics and charging in particular, there's a rational connection, and then everything else is just kind of coming along for the ride. I think a lot of it is just that, I mean, when I look at, why are we building Bright Drop now? And why did Bright Drop not get built five years ago or 10, 10 years ago? Yeah. It's really about this convergence of three big trends. So so the first of them is the maturity of you know EVs. So for years and years and years, people have been talking about EVs, but the cost of the batteries were so high that it just didn't make economic sense to own one. So you, would, you could buy it because you wanted to produce less emissions, but it was going to cost you more to drive that. And so you're sort of donating your cash to sort of help help the environment. And we crossed the tipping point where those where it's now cheaper to drive an EV than it is to drive an internal combustion engine. So that's why EVs are suddenly hitting prime time. At the same time, at this exact moment, uh, connectivity and internet of things. So we suddenly have a fast uh, wireless network. So you can start to connect cars and connect your cell phones and connect your sprinkler systems and everything else to the internet and control it. And that's unlocking all sorts of new businesses and new technologies. And then the third one is big data, sort of uh, machine learning. So when you start to have all these connected devices, they start to stream lots of data back into the cloud. And machine learning has now hit a, its sort of uh, sweet spot. And you're seeing this now with ChatGPT, where you can use software and algorithms to create a lot of value, generate insights, and how do you, you know, how can you optimize what you're doing in a way that you never could before? So we're actually living, you know, a lot of us take it for granted, but we're living in this very, very exciting, very unique time in the history of the world where these massive changes of technology are all converging and unlocking just massive potential. And I think, you know, the ultimate, one of the ultimate applications of that is autonomous driving. And, and you know, GM's owns this company called Cruise, uh, run by a guy named Kyle Vogt, who's absolutely brilliant. But taking those three things, so electric vehicles, big data, and connectivity to actually create cars that can drive themselves. And these are, they're no longer prototypes. They're doing commercial rides with no driver in them. In San Francisco, you can order a taxi with no driver today. Uh, it, it's real. And so it's super exciting moment to be living in. And the automakers are sort of uniquely positioned to take advantage of it because they know how to build cars at scale. And that is a very hard and capital intensive thing to do. And very few people have the skill set to do that. So you're seeing this kind of renaissance and revolution and also a race to say, okay, who's going to become the leaders in this sort of next generation of vehicles? You've talked about driverless cars. You've talked about crews. Is the plan for the bright drop vehicles to be driverless, to drive themselves and just stop in the middle of the city and let people go and deliver packages? So we haven't announced anything specifically in terms of our autonomous plans, but I think we are big believers in autonomy as a whole, and we think there is a big role to play for autonomous vehicles in the delivery space. Uh, there are simple applications, you know, dock-to-dock applications that I think are fairly easy to tackle. When you start to think about delivering things to people's front door, 
there's a whole host of complications there about, you know, how do you solve the last hundred foot problem? So if I'm on the 18th floor of my high-rise apartment on a Zoom call with my boss and my new toothbrush arrives, you know, what do I do there? And so a lot of what we're thinking about when we think about these smart containers and smart motorized containers, um, how do you marry those with autonomous vehicles to unlock the power of autonomy and the, you know, the opportunity for savings uh, autonomy brings for the mass market? So, so we're doing a lot of thinking there, but although I don't have anything specific I can share today. When I were talking to a car executive who's focused on consumers and we talk about EVs, the first question my audience asks is, charging sucks, how are you make the charging better? Obviously, with a fleet approach, an enterprise approach, not the same set of challenges, but you still got to install a lot of charging infrastructure, and that's a big startup cost. How are you handling charging for these trucks? So charging infrastructure is a big challenge, although the way the way I put it, because people ask me this a lot, and the way I put it is... You know, in the early days of the internet, uh, when people talked about concepts like streaming video or even streaming audio, everyone's like, yeah, that's cool. But, the, you know, the network can't handle streaming audio and streaming video. Yeah. But, of course, we got there. So I, I think it really is the technology to do charging at scale in America is there. It's going to take a little bit of time and it's going to take investment uh, in the same way as it took investment in you know, our cellular networks to allow you to do streaming video from your phone. But it's coming. It's it's not going to be a, a long-term major barrier, but it is a short-term pain point. For commercial fleets, it's a little bit different than consumer vehicles. So these fleets, you know, what the typical pattern is these vehicles are are out in the field, you know, for eight hours delivering packages and they're back charging in the depot overnight. So there's not the need for, you know, out in the field charging of delivery vehicles. Um just given the duty cycles. But you still got to install like, you know, 40 chargers at a depot. That's an expensive investment that requires a lot of power to one place. Correct. So so I, I, not to minimize, it is, there's still some major challenges there. So you have to install the chargers there. A lot of times, if you're going to charge 50 vehicles at once, you need more power coming into that depot than you may have today, which might mean you need the utility to come and upgrade their network there. A lot of times the depots where you're parking these things are not owned by the delivery company, but they're leased. And so there's a landlord involved. So there is a lot of complexity here that companies are working through. And so when we go out to sell these vehicles, one of the things that we do is we go out and try to talk to them about these challenges early because you actually have to plan ahead for thinking, where do you want to deploy these vehicles and how do you get the charging infrastructure in place? We have a whole bunch of partners. You know, GM put together partnerships with a lot of the major charging infrastructure providers so we can bring those guys in, you know, at a moment's notice. And GM has also launched its own energy business. So it's building uh, its own charging uh, infrastructure. It has storage. There's a whole fuel cell component where you can do, you know, stationary storage with fuel cells to do load shifting and that sort of stuff. So we have a whole bunch of solutions that we can help make this easier for customers. But the reality is you have to plan for it and, you, and you've got to get, you got to look at your schedule and how do you want to roll these things out nationally. So most of the companies, as they're, they've all made commitments to go to EVs, are starting to spin up divisions and, and teams to look at this. And it's, like I said, it's, it's going to be a bumpy road for the next couple of years as everyone figures out and gets smart about how this works as the utilities staff up to make sure they have enough staff to, to handle all of the, you know, the interconnects and that sort of thing. So 
you know, it's like anything, we're sort of charging into uncharted territory here, and there's going to be a lot of learning along the way. But it's none of the problems are that technically hard. It's just mostly a question of, of planning and resources. We've done 100 plus episodes of the show. You're the first person to come on and say that 5G is important to you, like even in a roundabout way. So that's exciting. Everyone else is like, yeah, that's this thing that happened. I want to transition now to talking about the car maker side of things. You have a van, the Zevo 600 and the 400. They're, they're big. You refer to General Motors as a contract manufacturer. We've kind of seen around the industry, there's two approaches to making an EV. There's ground up, which is what you've done, which Rivian done, Lucid done, Tesla's done. And then there's sort of the F-150 Lightning, right? We took our truck platform. We took all the value of the scale from that platform, and we added batteries to it. So we're not going to re- literally reinvent seats. We're not going to reinvent instrument clusters. We're just going to swap out the drivetrain, take advantage of the scale, and sell people a product that they really like. Why engineer your vans from the ground up? GM has vans. You can go buy like a GM with a Sierra van or whatever it's called. Why not take their existing commercial vans and electrify those? Why go from the ground up? Yeah, that that is a an excellent question. You can either just take your existing gas-powered vehicle and stuff some batteries in there and say, okay, it's an electric vehicle. Or you can say, let's start from scratch, from first principles, and say, we're going to build an electric vehicle, and how do you build the right kind of vehicle leveraging that platform? That's the approach that we took at Bright Drop, and that's the approach that GM is taking generally with all of its products. And it is not to be disparaging to anyone else, but it is the right way to do it. So when you build something from the ground up as an EV, it allows you to really design the vehicle around this form factor. And there's a lot of benefits to doing it. So in a traditional car, you know, you can think there's that, like, if you're sitting in the back seat, there's that lump between the, the in the middle of there where your feet are supposed <laughs> to go because you've got an axle going there. You don't need that in an EV. And so you can get rid of things like that. You can also start to really start, you know, re- reimagine things. So for example, we've, because we have uh, this battery and where you have, it sits sort of sits under the floor of the vehicle. It allows us to do things like lower the step-in height of the van. So a lot of people, you know, we took the step-in height down by, you know, several inches versus a traditional van. If we had had an internal combustion engine, you need to have axles and all that stuff under there. People say, well, why does that matter? Well, the average courier, if they're delivering packages, is stepping in and out of those vans 100 to 150 times per day. And so the wear and tear on your knees, uh, if you're getting in and out, uh, if you can lower that step-in height by a couple inches, it just makes it a much better job. It's a lot less strain, a lot less injury, it's a lot less tiring, and you don't have churn of drivers. You can also maximize the space that you're using for the battery to get better range. So what we've seen from a lot of automakers who tried to just stick batteries into their uh, gas-powered vehicles is those vehicles don't perform well in in the field. They get substandard range. They can't really meet the requirements that our customers need in the field, and so they're really struggling to sell a lot of and we've heard a lot of this, that just the performance isn't there. So our strategy of saying, let's start from the ground up, let's let's build around this electric platform, allows us to both build a better solution for customers, but also one that performs better and will hold its value much better over time. So the vans designed from the ground up, they make for a better product for the drivers. And then you sell them to delivery companies, along with a pretty advanced software suite you called Brightrop Core I'm curious, when you go to a FedEx, FedEx is a delivery company. They obviously have a massive software operation of their own. They obviously care about logistics a lot. And you say, hey, we're going to swap out the trucks. And not only the trucks, we're going to try to standardize 
the actual units that you're shipping to fit into these carts. And then on top of that, we're going to sell you software to make that all work better. How do you make that sale? Right? Cause it, that's their business. Like you're, you're starting to go directly into what they do. How do you make that sale and, and make it sound like you're not just commodifying what they do? Yeah. So, so our goal is not to commodify it and, and, you know, as, as you rightly point out. Because you have FedEx and DHL. They're pretty intense competitors, right? Right. And the reality is they're good at what they do. There's a reason those are the biggest companies, the biggest delivery companies in the world is because they know how to do this well. And they've they've figured out how to scale this business and to be able to deliver these, you know, these massive, you know, millions of packages per day to customers in a way that's cost effective. And so, you know, the starting point for them is we – we don't need your help. And so a lot of, a lot of, (laughs) yeah, that's true. Um, You know, they need, they want electric vehicles. So all of these companies, whether it's FedEx or Walmart or Amazon, they've all committed to getting to net zero from a carbon perspective by 2035 or 2040. So they need help with electrification. And so the starting point is, hey, we've got vans that are designed around the way that you do business. And, and to make this clear, there's traditional cargo vans that you see driving around, and then there's delivery vans. And delivery vans look very different. You know, They've got mm-hmm. these high seating positions, so it's easy for couriers to get in and out uh, of the vehicle. They have you know, a big bulkhead door so you can go from the driving cabin back into the back to get packages. Our designers spent hundreds of hours in the field doing runs with real couriers to look at how are they working during the day and how are they managing packages. So we've built a product that's perfectly designed for the use case that these guys have, but it's electric. And so it's a pretty compelling value proposition going in with the vans. The next step from there, you know, with things like the e-carts and with the software, you know, we have to be able to prove that these things create value in the field for them and prove that they're easy enough to adopt that they can move them into their operations. So a lot of what we do when we go and talk to these customers is we talk about the problems that we know that they're facing and we talk about how our solutions can help them solve those problems. And then we pilot them. We get out in the field and we try it. So like I said, with FedEx, uh, you know, we have been testing these in multiple markets, we're measuring the results. So we start off, we measure your baseline. How fast is, can you deliver these packages per day? How many stops per hour? These kinds of things. And then we test when we put our solutions in there, do you get better results? And most times we see, yes, they do. And so that's the, sort of the starting point. But it's not a quick sale. To build a business like this and building any enterprise business it is a multi-year partnership where you have to really partner with these companies and really help them through the process because it's not just about, you know, buying new pens or, you know, printers or things like that. You really need to think about how do I rethink my operations to incorporate these things uh, in a business that, you know, every day they wake up and they're like, oh my God, we've got to get all these packages out the door and to all of these people before 10 a.m. So, they don't have lots of free time where they're sitting around just twiddling their thumbs looking to try new things. So you have to figure <laughs> out how do you make it in, you know, easy, to, easy to adopt and start slowly rolling it out so they can develop a playbook. And once they've got it working in one depot, can we try it across three depots? Can we scale it to 10? And so it's, it's a multi-year you know, journey that we're on with a lot of these customers. Um, and on the software side, a lot of it comes from taking the software that we have and taking the connectivity that we have in these things and start you know, the starting point and say, hey, you know, look, here's what the data is telling us about, you know, how you're working and here are opportunities for you to do 
you know, more with less and to get more done, to get take more advantage of these electric vehicles, to think about your charging differently, to think about how you could incorporate these e-carts to allow you to scale to more packages without adding more vehicles at all. It's a really interesting conversation. And a lot of it is about, we've, we've got to start by showing the value. And then from there, we can move into talks about how do we adopt them. When you talk to a FedEx, right, it seems like the real key here is the e-carts, right? Is is the standardization so they can use different kinds of delivery vehicles once they get the trucks out there, right? And you keep talking about, we can't just keep adding more trucks. How do you go to a FedEx and say, all right, in order to make the e-carts work, we need to standardize, containerize the actual shipping units? Because that is like an uncrackable problem from my vantage point. Yeah, it's not straightforward, honestly, because... Like I said, these guys have a way a way of working in the same way that GM has a way of working. They've designed it and perfected it over many, many years, and that way of working doesn't include using e-cards. But they are quite aware of the pain points. And so when, when you're out there, like there's – I have this photograph of downtown New York City, and this is something that happens multiple points over New York City, but also in Chicago and Miami and, and L.A. and everywhere else, where – you know, is outside an Amazon-owned Whole Foods, and there is a truck that's there, you know, dropping off packages, and it is taking up not only an entire lane of traffic, but it's taking up, you know, the curb lane where people are supposed to be parking and the sidewalk. There's packages sort of spread out everywhere. You know, there's a traffic jam created as a result because people are trying to get around there. There's bikes trying to get around there. It's an incredible mess that they're creating because they have so many packages to move, and there's no place to park these vehicles. And so, even though they have a system that works for them and they're sort of getting by, it's, they know the system's not perfect. They know the system has challenges. They have to think about, you know, the order they're putting packages in to these e-carts, and that's a software problem. So it's not something they can do everywhere all at once. They need to start small and we'll build out from there, and that's exactly what we're doing. We need to take one more quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about how Brightdrop actually makes money. That guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're back. I'm talking to Bright Drop CEO, Travis Katz. You said you're on track to a billion dollars in revenue. Is that coming from sales of the trucks? Is it coming from sales of the e-carts? Is that we're selling software services and that's going to grow faster over time? How is that broken down? It, it's coming from all three. 
Um, so we will get to a billion dollars in revenue selling all three of those products uh, in 2023. In the early years, we're going to be seeing more revenue from the vans. And over time, we're going to be seeing, I think, the, the balance shifting increasingly towards the e-carts and the software. But the van is the more mature product. So we started on the van earlier. And it's a little bit more of a known product, so it's faster and easier for a customer to adopt. They're switching out a van that's powered by gasoline with a van that's powered by electricity. But it's a van. They understand what a van is. The software and the <laughs> e-carts is the software and the e-carts are new products. So they're and we're still bringing those to market. So we're we're a little behind on the van in terms of how and the manufacturing that stuff because we started it uh, more recently. But that business is going to ramp up pretty quickly is, is what we expect to see and sort of all indications are go right now. Do you think that you will eventually subsidize the price of the van against the expected margins of the software business? Like right now, TVs are really cheap. They're cheaper than they should be because they run a lot of connected TV services. And, you know, if you buy a Roku TV, there's an yeah. advertising unit built into it that comes along for the ride. So the actual price of the hardware is, is really quite subsidized by a services stack. Are you foreseeing the same sort of thing happening where you, you sell the van at a discount or even under cost because you're going to make it back up on the software? Uh, you know, it's a great question. I'm not sure. I think there's definitely a potential. So the nice thing about software businesses, you know, one of my favorite things about software businesses is, is they do sort of scale infinitely. So you have a set of fixed costs that you have, which is, you know, people and you have servers and, and storage and that sort of thing. But you know, you can create one set of software and then scale that out over a lot of customers without very much variable cost. Variable costs are near zero. So you tend to see very, very high margins in software. And yeah, those margins over time can become a competitive weapon that you use to help drive more sales of uh, vehicles and more sales of other hardware. So I wouldn't say... Uh, wouldn't say no, we won't do that. Um, but right now, we're we're not really thinking about it that way. Do you attach a, an expected services revenue to the sale of every van, or are you just saying, okay, vans mature business, people understand them, they want to buy them, they've committed to you know electrification by twenty thirty. We need to get a product to meet the demand, and then hopefully we can sell a software solution on the back of it with those you know infinite scalability and potentially infinite margins. One of the goals we set out at the beginning of the year is that every hardware product we sell is going to be bundled with a software solution. Um, and that's the way we're building the business. And as a customer, you want the software because the software creates value for you. So it's not like we're trying to force software on you. We're going to help use software to help you save money. Um, and so the sell is pretty straightforward and pretty easy. So I don't expect we'll be selling hardware products that don't come bundled with software. When you think about a FedEx and a DHL and you know the big customers, right? They want to be differentiated. When you go, what what are the points where you can tailor the product to their needs? Generally, when you're selling software to an enterprise as opposed to consumer software, by default, you're going to have to do some level of customization because you have to integrate into all of their systems. So FedEx, DHL whoever, they've got their methods of running their business. They have their own software stack, which is usually some combination of stuff they built themselves and third-party tools that they've integrated in. And so when you go to them, you have to really figure out, okay, how do we integrate our software in with yours to make it work? 
in the way that you want to run your business. So our goal is not to say, hey, here's how you run your business. Our goal is to say, we're going to help you run your business better. And we're going to empower you with the data and the insights to help you do things smarter. But we're not going to tell you how to run your business. And you know, we don't know their business as well as they do, obviously. So it's really more of a, a supporting function. You know, We're not building necessarily custom tools for, for customers. But we need to figure out how do we make it plug in, which is inevitably require some level of, of custom work. And it's hard to talk about potential customers for BrightDrop without talking to the elephant in the room, which is Amazon. Amazon is a software-based logistics platform. I think that might be the simplest way of describing their retail, retail operation, their store. Yeah. They had an exclusive arrangement with Rivian, which also has an electric delivery van. That's come to an end. Is that an opportunity for you? Did you spin up a strike team to go take the business from Rivian and Amazon? The reality is if you look at how most of these fleets buy today, they rarely go single source and say, we're only going to buy from a single manufacturer. Uh, they tend to spread their bets around and and pick a couple of key partners that they want to work with. But but I, I've yet to see a, a fleet that operates in you know, with only one one partner. So yeah, we're we're talking to everyone. I expect we will be selling vans to everybody that moves goods out in the market. Amazon is the one customer I can see saying, look, we don't want any of your software. We just need the vans. Like we're really good at software. Would that be the customer that says, okay, we're just going to sell the vans. Like that's a big enough opportunity and we can try to do something else everywhere else. Um, yeah, even in Amazon, um, I mean, like, like you said, Amazon's great at software. That's that's their core. But at the very least, they need connectivity and data to run, you know, to be able to run the software that they're designing. And I think, you know, Amazon is still thinking through, they've got lots of money and they've got lots of, you know, talented people. And so in theory, they could build anything. And I think they need to decide what is, you know, what's the core stuff that they need to own and what stuff are they going to work with third parties on? Um, I don't think they want to get into, okay, we're going to, we're going to own our own vehicles and maintain our own vehicles and try to figure out, you know, the, the maintenance schedule for electric batteries and those kinds of things. So I think they're <laughs> going to still need uh, software from us. Um, you know, they're welcome to do that if they want, but I, I think it's not where they need to be spending their time. Their time is to really figure out their own logistics system and how do they move most efficiently and at, at highest speed as part of their competitive advantage. So I think there's lots of opportunities for us to work together with them. We may work with them in different ways than other companies. So how much of the software stack are they going to want um, may look different, you know, versus other customers. I think every customer may look a little bit different, but there's core functionality there that they, they're they going to really want and they're really going to need. And and the economies of scale of having one player build it and, and being able to sell it to multiple vendors is advantageous versus we're going to build this all for just our own operations. Yeah. Do you look at Rivian's challenges and scaling and say, whoo, it's a good thing that we have GM behind us? Or do you face the same challenges? If I look at sort of, you know, the shift that's happened in the EV startup world uh, over the last 12 months, I mean, it's been pretty dramatic. And we went from a world in which capital was almost free. And so there was just money sort of everywhere. Uh, and so it allowed a lot of companies to go after a space like Automotive, which is incredibly expensive to bring a car to market, and it's incredibly hard, and it takes a long time. And then suddenly, as interest rates started going up, the entire sentiment changed, and you know valuations of startups uh, have been crushed. 
And it's hard, you know, and yeah, so when I look at where we're at from Brightrop, if I look at the struggles that all of the the startups are having in this space, we don't share a lot of those things. So a big challenge everyone's dealing with right now is, you know, how do we scale? And there's a question of supply chain has been, a, you know, a big challenge for the automotive industry. GM has a m- massive know-how here. So we know how to scale vehicle production and we are scaling it as we speak. You know, we've got our factory up in in Ontario, Canada, uh, and we are rapidly ramping that up and rolling vehicles off the market. So we don't have a lot of the challenges and that is really comes down to GM's backing and they know how to manage batteries, they know how to build EVs, they know how to scale production, they know how to manage supply chain and supply chain risk. And if you're trying to build all that stuff from scratch, it's just really, really hard. And, you know, Elon has talked about this a lot, about how hard it was to get Tesla off the ground. And they almost went bankrupt multiple times. It is a very, very hard space to do it. And you need a lot of capital. And, you know, there's some great startups out there. I think some really smart people. And I would like to see a lot of them do well. But it's it's going to be a tough you know, 18 to 24 months in, in that space. And I think we're going to see a lot of companies really challenged. Even GM is challenged though, right? I mean, it correct. GM has made a lot of promises about how fast they will electrify, about what the cars will be. And there's only like two or three of them right now. And they're the Hummer EV like barely counts, right? It's a, it's a concept car that actually shipped, which is remarkable in its own way, but it's not meant for everybody. And it's not shipping it like scaled volumes. When you think about, all right, there's a crunch on battery supply. And GM has huge plans for consumers. Where does the negotiation for Brightrop come in? Like, all right, we've got a billion dollars in revenue and we're growing. We're going to take priority on GM's battery supply. How does that work? So General Motors is launching a lot of EVs over the next couple of years. And I think when you look at it, it's an interesting moment again in history because you're seeing this giant rush where all of the major automakers as well as the startups are all trying to launch lots of EVs at once. And uh, the supply chain is not totally ready for that. And so everyone's trying to figure out, okay, how do we scale as quickly as possible? I think General Motors is better positioned than most other traditional auto manufacturers because they started much earlier and started with a model of vertical integration. So GM has got its own battery platform, the Ultium battery platform, which is a, j- a joint venture uh, with LG Chem. They started investing in building their own uh, battery plants in the U.S., you know, domestic supply, which matters for uh, incentives and other things. And they've been focusing on let's build vehicles from the ground up. So they just started much earlier than everyone else, which puts them in a much better position, I think, than most of the competition. Does a, the Brightrop van is on the LTM architecture, and you're, you're going to get the benefit from that joint venture? Yeah. So, so we are using the Ultium batteries. It is true that you know, to scale all of these things, it, it is hard even for a company like General Motors to scale very, very quickly on a totally new platform. And there's still kinks being worked out. You know, I have an inside view. The company is doing very, very well. Um, so I'm very confident. But there is, you know, there does have to be a prioritization of where do batteries go. I think General Motors looks at Brightrop as one of the key growth drivers for the company. And so we are getting our fair share of, of batteries, and, and I expect we will continue to do so uh, over time. 
So, you know, it's going to be the, the next couple of years are, are really, it's sort of even the big companies are having to do startup things and, and really go from zero to one uh, when it comes to scaling EVs. And there will be bumps along the road for sure. But I think the, the long-term path looks quite bright. If you have more demand than the Ultium division can supply, are you allowed as a division of GM to go source other batteries? Are we allowed? Yes. Would we want to? Probably not. So it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Ultium platform is a really, really great platform. And you've probably seen some stuff about it. You know, it's an overall architecture that allows you to configure different battery sizes, different battery shapes. You can use different types of cells. So you could use pouch cells or prismatic cells or you know traditional cylindrical cells. Um, so it's a very, very flexible architecture. And the way vehicles come together, you know, you have to have the battery software and the battery architecture integrated in with all the other components. Um, so it's not the same as like, you know, if you've got your remote control for your TV that you can just swap batteries in and out. It doesn't really matter what the brand is. They're pretty tightly coupled with the overall architecture of the vehicle. So it's not real simple to switch them out. Could we do it? Yeah, but I don't think we have any reason to. The Ultium platform is going to be scaling pretty fast and, and gives us what we need. Um, I don't think there's better batteries out there. Two last questions are both kind of big think questions. One, you, you started off early in the conversation by saying you really want to do something in climate change. Obviously, Bread Shop, EV company, delivery. There's a lot to do with climate change in there. But I'm looking at a stat here that says the current pace of electrification in the transport business is not fast enough to prevent the worst effects of climate change. Do you feel pressure on that side of your brain to go even faster and to push even harder? Yeah. I mean, the thing that gets me motivated every day when I wake up is to think this business has to succeed, not just because we want it to succeed, but because the planet needs it to succeed. Um, we absolutely are in a state of crisis from uh, from a planetary perspective. We really need a concerted effort. We're working on one piece of the pie, and there's a lot of other people working on a lot of other pieces. But we need it to succeed, and we need it to move very, very quickly. And so, you know, inside the company, the people that are working at Brightrop are people who want to take their smarts and their skills and their passions and apply it towards solving a problem that matters as opposed to saying, okay, how can I optimize the click-through rate on, on an ad in my Instagram feed or something like that? And so it's a very, very motivating force for me. It's a very motivating force, I think, for our team. And there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, but I'm very, very optimistic. We actually have the technologies in place now to make a big dent uh, in climate change. And you're seeing technology sprouting up, you know, across the ecosystem to deal with other parts, you know, not just transport, you know, electricity storage, electricity production, so I'm very hopeful that we've got the technology in place. We just need focus. Um, and our business is very focused on that. General Motors as a company is very focused on driving this change to uh, net zero. You know, Mary Barra was the first CEO of a major manufacturer who came out and said, we're going to go all electric uh, for consumer vehicles by 2035 and has put the capital behind it to make it happen. So a lot of work still to be done, but I think we've got a lot of smart people, a lot of passion behind it, and I think we are going to have a major impact. Will it be enough to stop the worst effects? I'm not sure, but I think we can get there. You've sketched out a really big vision for how you want Brightrop to work, right? You containerize the, the packages, they go in the trucks, the trucks parks in the middle of the city, an uh, army of worker bees on 
e-bikes and your motorized carts goes and takes the packages to their places. They come back to the truck. The truck leaves. We've made everything cleaner and more efficient. Is that happening yet? Have you run that test? Have you have you said, okay, we want it to work all the way end to end, the, the biggest vision we have. Have you seen it happen? Yes. Um, and so, like I talked about with, you know, the one we can talk publicly about is the test we did with FedEx where they were able to, you know, deliver 25% more packages per day using these trace e-carts uh, than without. And when you think about that, normally when you bring a sort of new technology to an enterprise, you know, if you can get 5% or 6% better, that's a huge win. You never see numbers like 25%. In fact, they were so big the first time we looked at it and we said, we must have made a mistake. So let's run the numbers again and run them again. And the numbers kept coming back. And so we, we ran this test in other <laughs> cities and we saw similar things. Uh, it really is game changing, and it's just the starting point. You know that really wasn't leveraging all the power that the software has. We acquired a company uh, last year called Moraine, which came out of Stanford's Autonomous Systems Lab. That is, you know, it built a whole bunch of technology around optimization of routes, optimization of charging, and really applying machine learning and simulation to help sort of, you know, you can essentially run twenty thousand combinations of your city's routes in, you know an hour or something like that and really come back with better solutions. As we're starting to run this with partners, we're seeing major opportunities to do things better. And, and it's pretty eye-opening. You know, when you have a company that's been running this business for a long time and they feel like, hey, we've got this pretty well nailed. And then you can come back to them with data and say, hey, there's actually a smarter way to do this and you can get more value and, and show them what that data looks like and how you can make those changes. It's pretty exciting. And so... Um, like I said, we're at the very beginning of this journey, um, so a lot more to come, but I'm very optimistic uh, where we're sitting right now. So let me bring that down to the present. That's the vision. You've run the test. You've seen the numbers. You, you can see where it can go. There's stuff beyond there. Then there's now, right, which is going to customers, making it happen. What's next for BrightDrop? What's the next concrete step that helps you get to that vision? So right now, where we're sitting, so we spent the last two years, you know, building prototypes and testing things out with customers in the field. And 2023 is the year where we're moving from science projects and laboratories and experiments to actually commercializing these products. So we are out going to market and engaging with all of the biggest players in the space, both with the vans, with the e-cars, with the software. So this is the year, you know, like we said, we're aiming to do a billion dollars of revenue this year. That's a big mindset shift for the team. Everyone is very, very excited and motivated by the opportunity. And when we look, you know, if we if we take a look forward, so, you know, we're, we'll be launching our second van. So we have our, our 600 cubic foot van. The Zevo 600 is, is live now. We're going to be launching the Zevo 400 later this year. But we're also looking out, you know, when you think about the technologies that are out there, so we have our sister company, Cruise, and so how do you think about you know, what happens when you marry autonomous driving with delivery? That's pretty interesting. When you think about you know, the containerization that we have and how do you marry that with you know, robotics and you start to think about a driverless vehicle uh, deploying containers or lockers where you can pick up packages on the sidewalk, I think... There's so much exciting stuff happening in technology that is all super applicable to this space of getting us all the things we're ordering online to our house in a way that's fast, that's safe, that's smart, that's convenient, and that's zero emissions. You know, the sky's kind of the limit. We introduced a new product last fall for grocery. 
We've been testing that with Kroger uh, in the field. I think grocery is another very interesting space. It's been exploding since the pandemic in terms of number of orders. There's tons of inefficiency there. Most grocers are losing money from grocery delivery. Uh, there are smarter ways to do it um, and meet that customer demand. And so we're excited about that space as well. So lots more to come. That's great. Well, Travis, thank you so much for being on Decoder today. It was really fun talking to you. Thanks, Eli. It was a great pleasure to be here. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again to Travis Katz for taking the time to chat today. Thank you for listening to Decoder. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit us up directly on Twitter or TikTok. We're at DecoderPod. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This episode was produced by Creighton DeSimone, Jackie McDermott, and Hadley Robinson, edited by Callie Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive director is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.